This uh, man, I'm excited about starting this series on the character of God. And uh, I got to tell you, there's been more resistance this week to starting this series than anything we've done so far. And we're going to find out what happens when you do get to know God, when you find out His character. Man, look out, buckle up. And so uh, we're going to jump in tonight's just kind of the jumping off point. Uh, a couple things we're going to go over, like why should we get to know God's character and what's the byproduct of that and and how we should go about knowing God. Then we'll jump into actually getting to know him. So you all believe with me? Let's jump into prayer and get started. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for the anointing. I thank you for utterance. Holy Spirit, I yield myself to you. Think through my thoughts. Speak through my words. If I mess it up in the saying, I thank you for fixing it in the hearing before it gets downrange. Father, I thank you that you give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation knowledge of you and your word and that you enlighten the eyes of our understanding. I thank you for answers, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, turn to Daniel chapter 11 and verse 32 is going to be our jumping off scripture tonight. Daniel 11:32. Is it too loud? It is recording, yes. I turned it good. <laughs> yeah, we don't want to lose this one, right, girl? Daniel 11 and verse 32. I'm going to read it out of the Amplified. It says it pretty good in the King James, about as good as it get, but the Amplified, it just breaks it down a little further. So uh, it's on the screen for you if you don't have an Amplified in front of you. It says this, and such as violate the covenant. Now, before we even get started, a couple of things. It says such as violate the covenant. So if you're going to violate the covenant, how many know you've got to be part of the covenant? You can't violate it if you're not in covenant. If you don't have a covenant, then you can't violate it because you never entered into the covenant. Isn't that right? So who are we talking to? People that are already in the covenant. So here's what he says. And such as violate the covenant. Now remember, what is our covenant? We just said riches, honor, and life. That's our covenant. Covenant for dummies. Break it down to three words. Riches, honor. So such as violate our covenant. So if you violate the covenant, we're not going to get off this verse tonight. <laughs> if you violate the covenant, you're not living in riches, honor, and life. Right? Okay. So such as violate the covenant, he shall pervert and seduce with flattery. Now, perversion, first thing, to divert something, divert, is externally turning away from, right? A perversion is an internal turning or twisting. A diversion, external turning or perversion, internal turning, uh, turning or twisting. So he says, here's folks, when they violate the covenant, they'll give you two things. Here's two things that they'll always stick to. They'll either pervert, they'll twist why, they'll twist the word, they'll twist the covenant of why they don't live in riches, honor, and life, or... They'll seduce each other with flatteries. Oh, you know, it's more holy to be humble and be pious. You know, all that prosperity and stuff, that isn't really what, you know, God wants to keep you humble. So they'll seduce each other with these kind of flatteries of how holy you are when you don't live in riches, honor, and life. Or they'll just twist it and pervert it in their mind that God doesn't want them to have riches, honor, and life. And those are the people that violate the covenant. Then he says, well, Why? Well, here, here's the other, here's people that don't violate the covenant. He says, but the people, but the people who know their God, the people who know their God will do three things. And if these three things aren't in your life, it's because you don't know God. And the very first thing, and they're progressive. The first thing is, is that you'll prove yourself strong. It says they'll, they shall prove themselves strong. Now, we just spent nine weeks on conscience. Do you all remember what strong is? Somebody who what? Hears and does. Right? But you've got to prove it. He said you've got to prove yourself. Now, who do you have to prove yourself to? There's only two people that you have to prove yourself strong to. Yourself and God. You don't have to prove it to anybody else. Not, not what, Listen, Paul said to Timothy, he said, don't let any man despise your youth. Yeah, you're a young man. Don't let him despise your youth. You know what? You don't got to prove yourself to anybody but yourself and God. 
When you got those two licked, it doesn't matter anybody else. Now, strong is here and do. Let's flip over to Matthew 7 real quick and look at this. This is what Jesus said about it, about strong people. And how do you prove yourself strong? If you prove something, it's because you've got a track record. Proving something out is an instant. It's a track record. You're going to prove something to yourself, you're going to have to have a long uh, list of victories behind you, saying that, you know what, every time I heard God and then I did it, now I'm starting to prove myself. You know, one time you heard God and did it, that's good. That You didn't prove yourself, did you? You just did good one time, right? All right, look in Matthew 7, verse 24. Jesus says, Therefore, whosoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I'll liken him unto a wise man, which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon the house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. He said, If you're strong, you hear my words and you do, you'll be like a house in a hurricane, no problem. Doesn't matter how many hurricanes come, your house still stands. That's proving to yourself and God that you're strong. I mean, if you don't know God, there's no way you could be strong. Because if you don't know God, first of all, you're probably not hearing him. And if you did hear him, you don't believe him enough to do it. Because that's this next person. Look, he says, and everyone that hears these sayings of mine and doeth them not. Now look, these two guys, they were neighbors. They came to the same meetings. They heard Jesus preaching. They got all his CDs and tapes. They, <laughs> they got all Jesus' books. They all read them. They all heard. But one did and one didn't. This guy didn't. And look what happened. He said, I liken the guy that didn't do it, do my sayings. Unto a foolish man who built his house upon the sand, and the rains came, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon the house, and it fell with the great was the fall of it. So if you're not strong, you don't prove yourself strong, the hurricane comes, you're going to cave. Just like a house built on the sand. Everybody ever, <laughs> you guys seen like uh, hurricanes footage, you know, and the house gets washed into the sea because it's built right there on the, on the, uh, the, the beachfront. You all seen that? He says that's somebody who's not strong. If you prove yourself, then the house isn't going to fall, no matter how many hurricanes come. All right, so if you know God, so here's the first reason why we should know God, so that we could prove ourselves strong. Prove yourself strong. Now, listen, like I said, it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks about you. You only have to prove to yourself and God. doesn't matter what anybody else thinks, they, whether they think you're strong and you're not, or they think that you're weak, but you are strong. It doesn't matter. Who cares what somebody else's opinion is? And that brings us to the next one, which is this. It, those who know their God shall stand firm. To stand firm means that you resist or you are resistant to external pressures. Peer pressure? Ha! Whatever. External pressures, pressures of your family, pressures of the job, pressures of society, whatever it is, you're resistant to it because you're steadfast in your faith. You're not moved. But you, gotta be, you have to prove yourself strong to yourself before you can stand firm. Because if you don't know that you're hearing God and that when you hear God you do all the time, then you will be tempted to cave to external pressures. You know what else stand firm means? It means faithful. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But faithful also means you've got a track record. It means I can count on you. Or somebody can count on you if you're faithful. Then here's my favorite one. See, once we prove ourselves strong... And then we are standing firm, and we don't, ha we don't cave to any external pressures. Then we can do this one. What is it? Do exploits. They that know their God shall do exploits. You know what exploits are? Exploits are three things. A heroic deed or an act of courage. Heroic deeds. Heroic deeds. Acts of courage. 
Throwing yourself on a grenade for the team? Sure. What's the next one? Is a master stroke. Not a stroke of luck, but a master stroke. That's a supreme skill and mastery. It sounds a lot like wisdom almost. Because when you have wisdom, you have supreme intelligence and skill. Well, this is supreme skill and mastery. How many in your career field, whatever it is, when you have supreme mastery and skill, you will do master strokes and then people will seek you out to hire you. And that's why you'll make big bucks. You'll be in great demand. Great demand. And then what's this last one? Tour de force. I love that. Even though it's French, whatever. Tour de force. Tour de force. Which tour de force means that you undertook something deliberately just because it was hard. Just because it was difficult. You know the old, don't tell me what I can't do. That kind of thing. That's what an exploit is. Tour de force. When you take on something that is deliberately hard. And then you pull it off. Has anybody ever accused you? This is really, here's how you know if you did exploits. Anybody ever accuse you of being larger than life? Man, that person's larger than life. That's how you know you're doing exploits. Like, oh, larger than life. And you know what? When you start doing this, not only will other people recognize it, but you'll be in great demand. Because they'll want you to show up and take care of their biggest problem for them. Tour de force. You know, when I was with Capitol Police, they used to call me the cleaner of the firemen. Because anytime there's a mess, well, we'll just have Andrew go do it. He can clean it up. If it was, he'll undertake anything that is deliberately difficult. And I would. You know why? Because I knew God. And I knew I was doing what I was supposed to do, and it doesn't matter. Yeah, even in that worldly environment. You know, it doesn't say do exploits in church. It says you do exploits. You know God, you'll do exploits. You will show up and you will do heroic deeds. You'll have master strokes and tour de force. Not only will you take on stuff that is deliberately difficult, but you'll win. And people go, man, that person's larger than life. Now, as we get to know God better, we'll see that this is how God operates. Well, I'm getting ahead of myself, but I'm going to lay this out for next week. When God showed up, right, we only knew him as Elohim. He was Almighty God, God Supreme, right? When he came to Abraham, he said, I'm Elohim. I'm God Supreme. I'm the top dog. I'm, I'm God. I'm the one that created everything. Do you know what happened when he came to Moses? He said, I'm the God of Abraham. I'm the God of Isaac. I'm the God of Jacob. You know why? Because now he's dropping names because those are people that did exploits and they can go, oh, that's your God? Oh, I can hook up with that guy. Now, oh, God help me. Is anybody saying, oh, that's the God of Earl? Or that's the God of Bev? Or that's the God of Gloria? We want, if they're not, we want to get there. When they'd be like, you know what, I'm going to follow your God because everything happens for you that should happen in life. You have riches, honor, and life. Man, not only did you prove yourself strong and you stand firm, but you're doing exploits. I want that God. Because when we get to know God and He starts showing up in our life, and bam, then He'll start dropping names. Well, He'll come to somebody across town and be like, hey, I'm the God of Covenant Life Outreach Church. Y'all ever heard of them? You might want to go over there. Not saying how great we are. We're saying how great God is. And when he shows up, we let him show up big in our life. Then he can brag on us, drop our name, so people have an idea who he is. Because we don't really know who he is. Because if we did, we'd all be doing exploits. And we're going there. All right, let's go to Titus 1. Titus 1, verse 10. We're back in the King James now. Now, this scripture we looked at several weeks in conscience during our conscience series. And so we're kind of familiar with it. 
but uh, this will help us out. Uh, and why we got to understand why we don't know God. This is why we don't know God, or people don't know God. And I say we because we really don't know God. Uh, and as we get to know Him better, we'll realize how little we did know Him. All right. First ten says, "For there are many unruly and vain talkers and deceivers, especially they of the circumcision." That's religious folks. Circumcision, those are people doing the law, their checklist. We know any religious folks around here? Nope, we don't, right? Of course we do, man. Most of the body of Christ, 95% of the body of Christ is religious. Now, he breaks down all the religious folks at 95% into these three categories. Now, you can turn on Christian television anytime, day or night, and you can see all three of these categories. The first one is unruly. They're the, the holy rollers. You know, it's emotion only. Oh, but they're religious. Don't, be, don't get me wrong. They still have their religious code. But they just have emotion. So it looks like there's life there, but all it is is unruly. They're unruly. You can turn on TV anytime, day or night, and you can see the unruly people. And it's all great, and it's a great show. And then guess what? Monday morning, when you know it's time to pay your bills, or you're sick, or you're having a bad relationship, what do we do? Nothing. We can't wait till the next time we can get unruly. Then here's the other one. Vain talkers. That word vain means ineffective. Anybody ever heard an ineffective sermon in church? Sounds like this. Wah ha, wah wah, wah ha. Wah wah ha, wah ha. Okay? That's intellectual because what they'll do is they'll string together all these great sounding religious terms. Well, the theology of the redemptive power of the cross. Bringing grace and favor. What are you talking about? Does that, does that help anybody? No, it's all intellectual. It's ineffective. It's just blah, blah, blah. They're using their intellect, and it's just as dead. So, And you can see that anytime, day or night, on Christian television. You can probably see it on regular TV, too, on Sunday morning. They put it on the networks. We call it high church, right? Mainline denominations. Then here's the next one. The deceivers. These are people that work people. They manipulate people. They use both the intellect and the emotion to get them to control you to do what you want to do. Usually they're trying to work you for cash. Sow your seed now. Get your vial of holy water for 19.95. Oh, I'm a prophet. Send me 100 bucks. Call me on the phone. We'll have a divine connection, and I'll send you your written-out prophecy of what your future is. Man, that's Miss Cleo with a Christian spin on it. I saw that on TV at 6 o'clock on Saturday morning. One. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. You know, he had his collar on and his big, you know, bling, bling cross, right? And it was like the, uh, you know, purple, kind of like what we're looking right at, maybe pinkish. Yeah, he called himself prophet something or another. Master prophet. That's he was a master prophet. I never saw that in the Bible. But then look what he says. He says, here's these three kinds of people. He says, whose mouths, in verse 11, must be stopped. Why? Who subvert whole houses. Now, we, saw, we talked about diversion means an external, twisting or turning. A perversion is internal, and a subversion means it'll take you out at the knees and you're just a downward spiral. He says entire families will be subverted. If you've got any problem in your families, in your entire house, whatever it is, it's because these folks have been talking into your life. Either it was unruly, it was vain talkers, or it was deceivers, and you bought into it. Just reading the Bible. He said it'll take out entire houses or families at the knees. Why? Because they're teaching things which they ought not for filthy lucre's sake. And every one of these, you know, if you're in the Holy Roller Church, you really don't want to, you know, tell people to stop because that's your market share. You want to tell people to settle down, put the pom-poms away, quit waving the banners, quit doing backflips down the aisle. It's unruly. If you did that, 
boy, tithes and offerings will go down because that's your market share. Same thing with the intellectual church, right? The vain talkers. Boy, if they had any kind of wildfire in there or somebody did break out the pom-poms, that would be the end of that. Don't let somebody raise their hands in there and praise God because that would go with the market share. Tithes and offerings, we don't want to offend anybody because our market share would go down. And the deceivers, they're all about the market share. That's their whole thing is working somebody for cash, scamming them in Jesus' name. Or it's really the beginning of a cult. They'll try to, they'll try to control every aspect of your life. I had a relative call this week or two weeks ago talking about a church somewhere across the country. It was a small church, but the guy was telling them what to eat, how to eat, when to eat, give your entire paycheck next month, all this stuff. Why Control people. They're deceivers. Verse 12, it says, One of themselves, so this is one of that whole crew, even admitted, even a prophet of their own, somebody that's pretty high up in the food chain, said, Cretans are always liars. That means falsifiers, spin, then evil beasts. That means worthless vermin. You know, when I lived in Australia, um, I, I uh, went to high school down there. There was a problem with kangaroos. The seven-foot-tall red kangaroos, they're like worse than deer here. Because what they would do is they drink all the fresh water and eat all the crops, but you couldn't shoot them because it was against the law. What they are is worthless vermin. They'll suck all the life out of you. They'll suck all your resources out of you. Right? That's what these folks do in these three categories. He said, if they're not falsifiers, they will take and suck you dry of all your resources and all your life. And then the next one is what? Slow bellies. Lazy or not diligent. Why? Because it's easier to not work people than it is to work. It's easier to work people. This witness is true. Wherefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith. But that would freak some people out if I went around this town rebuking those folks sharply, wouldn't they? They wouldn't receive it. So you know what? But knowing God's character, which we'll find out later, he's not telling us to go around rebuking everybody sharply. What he's telling, he's writing to Titus that anybody is in his church to rebuke them sharply. So, and as pastor of this church, any of this nonsense shows up, stand by, I'll rebuke it sharply. Why? To protect all y'all. I won't let any of that junk in here. I promise you I won't. People get mad? Fine, get mad. Right? Go ahead. I'm, my job is to nurture and feed the flock. Part of nurturing and feeding is making sure somebody's not in here stealing their food or backstabbing them. And look at verse 14. It says, Not giving heed to Jewish fables or religious stories. Man, you could go to church. You ever hear sermon illustrations? You know they're fake. They're fiction. Sermon illustrations. He said, don't give heed to them. Boy, people man, build entire denominations around sermon illustrations, religious fables, fiction. God help them. And look, then here's the other part of that, commandments of men. Commandments of men. He says, those things, they turn from the truth. That turn from the truth. Unto the pure, all things are pure. Unto them that are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But even their mind and their conscience is defiled. You all starting to remember this now? They profess that they know God. They profess they know. A lot of people say, yeah, I know God. He said, but in their works, they deny him. Being abominable or disgusted and disobedient unto every good work reprobate. Remember in conscience, conscience, you defile your conscience, right? Remember, then you become unbelieving because you shut off the voice of God. Then, even though you profess you know God in works, you deny him because what happens? You start doing work to assuage your guilt. Then 
you start doing that for me, it won't even take you but three weeks to start trying to assuage your guilt, and it doesn't go away. You'll get disgusted with God and be like, you know what, God, this ain't working. Then next thing you know, you check out, you become disobedient, and then it says you're a reprobate or a castaway. Remember we talked about survivor castaways? They scrap for food, they scrap for clothes and shelter, barely getting along. They're just trying to survive, claw out an existence. These are people that profess God, but they, they don't know. They profess that they know him, but they don't. If they did, they wouldn't end up being a survivor or a castaway. And I'm going to throw this out here. We've talked, we hammered on this a long time. If you're feeling guilty about anything, it isn't coming from God. People do stuff, right? Remember that second thing, stand firm, right? Resistant to external pressures. That means guilt too. You're resistant to somebody throwing the guilt trip on you. If you know God, guilt don't work on you. I love you, but you know what? You're not going to guilt me into doing something. I'm going to hear from God, and then I'll go do it. If they happen to match up, that's good, but, you know, rest assured I'm not doing it because I feel guilty. All right, turn to Jeremiah 5. I mean, uh, yeah, Jeremiah 5. Jeremiah 5 and verse 1. Here's God talking. He says, Run ye to and fro through the streets of Jerusalem, and see now, and know, and seek in the broad places thereof. See if you can find a man, if there be any that execute judgment, or any that does what's fair and right, and any that seeks the truth, and I will pardon it. God said, You look all through Jerusalem and see if you can find somebody that just does the right thing. He said, And I'll cut you guys some slack. And he says, And though they say the Lord liveth, Surely they swear falsely. There is a ton of folks in the body of Christ and in this country that call themselves Christians. They say, yeah, the Lord lives, you know, but it's a lie to them. It means nothing to them because they don't know God. Look at verse 3. It says, O Lord, now Jeremiah is talking, are not thine eyes upon the truth? Thou hast stricken them, but they have not grieved. Thou hast consumed them, but they have refused to receive correction. They have made their faces harder than a rock, and they have refused to return. Therefore, I said, surely these are poor, and they are foolish. So here's the reason. If you're poor, and foolish means you're devoid of wisdom. You ain't making good choices. Here's the two reasons. If you're poor or you don't make good choices, here's the reason why. For they know not the ways of the Lord, nor the judgment of their God. If you have a problem with cash and you don't make good judgment calls, you don't make good decisions, it's because you don't know God. Just reading the Bible. You know what? If my life doesn't match up to the Bible, I'm not going to change the Bible to match up to my life. I'm going to change my life to match up to the Word. If I'm having problems with cash, and I've had in the past, you know what I did? Run in and find out, well, i got to know God. Because when you start to know God, you know that lack is not on His radar screen. And then instead of going, God, why are you letting this happen to me? Then I start saying what the Word says about me. Jesus became poor so I could be rich. We'll get to that later on when we start talking about the names of God. But we've got to get to the point, why do we want to know God? Why should we take the time to know God? Well, here's a good one, money. I'm serious, just where we live. I like having cash. I like paying my bills. Not only that, I like going out and doing fun stuff, plus blessing other people on top of it. So if I like doing all it, isn't that good stuff? Does anybody not like having extra cash? 
Is there anybody? You can raise your hand. It's all right. No, because you know why? Because it's a good thing. Remember the good thing, the Martha Stewart test on Sunday? It's a good thing. God's not withholding it from you. The reason you don't have it is because you don't know him. And you don't know his ways. And you don't know how he makes judgment calls. Let's find out and get there. He says in verse 5, I will get unto me great men, and I'll speak unto them, for they have known the way of the Lord. Great men. It sounds like people who've done exploits. They've known the way of the Lord and the judgment of their God, but these have altogether broken the yoke and burst the bonds. Well, I thought it was the anointing that broke the yoke. Well, apparently, it's great men who know their God that show up that break the yoke, and yeah, the anointing helps them. But if you don't know God, you've got no shot at breaking the yoke. And look at verse 6. It says, Wherefore a lion out of the forest shall slay them. Say kill. Kill. There you go. A wolf of the evenings shall spoil them. Say steal. A leopard shall watch over their cities, and everyone that goeth out thence shall be torn to pieces. Say destroy. Remember what the works of the devil are to steal, kill, and destroy. If you don't know God, you are out there, and he is just waiting to steal from you, to kill you, and destroy you. Because you don't know God. If you are get, if life, life is kicking you in the teeth, you better take inventory and find out what, you know, how much about God do I really know. Because remember, we also said this on Sunday. What's the symptom of the, of the disease of believing God? Is that you're in rest. And what were the other three things that showed up if you're believing? Joy, you're excited. Peace, you are in rest. And hope, you have confidence. That's how you know if you really believe God, if you really know Him. Because you can't believe Him if you don't know Him. He says, because of their transgressions are many and their backslidings are increased. Here's why you should know God. A, if you know God, you won't get stolen from, you won't get killed, and you won't be destroyed, but also your transgressions will not, they'll be, you won't be transgressing. And if you have a problem with backsliding, it'll go away. Because when you start to know God, backsliding ain't even an issue. Because once you start knowing God, man, I want to go hang out with God. Because the more you get to know him, you find out it's better with him. There isn't any, there's no, oh, I don't know, I, man, I, you know, I really want to go clubbing tonight. It's not even a choice for you because once you know God, that'd be like me and Kimmy. But you know, I know my wife. I like to hang out with her. Be like saying, you know what, baby, I'm going to the club tonight. I don't, I don't really want to hang out with you. Wrong. How do you know the marriage won't last too long that way? Backsliding doesn't even become an issue when you start to know God. Turn to First John five. First John 5 and verse 17. He says, All unrighteousness... Now remember, what's righteousness? Do you all remember what that is? Riches, honor, righteousness is equity. That's the literally what it means in the Greek is equity. And equity is riches, honor, and life. So all unrighteousness is sin. Do you, and you guys remember what sin is? Sin means to just settle for less than God's perfect will. We all remember that one? No? Sin literally means that you miss the mark... Miss the target, not sharing in the prize. That's all sin means, is that you miss the bullseye. God's perfect will, you miss the bullseye, so you don't get to share in the prize. That's all it is. Now, he says, all unrighteousness, if you're not living in riches, honor, and life, if you have settled for less than your covenant, he said, that's sin. That's settling. If you're not living to the max of your covenant, you're settling for less. And he says, and there is a sin or a settlement that is not unto death. He said, look, there's tons of folks, because we talked about sin unto death under conscience, you cannot live in your... You know, it's not against the law to be poor. It ain't against the law to be sick. It's not against the law to have bad relationships. And he says, even though you're settling for less, you're not going to die. You'll be miserable the whole time you're here on the planet. He said, but that's not a sin unto death. 
That's not a settlement unto death. You can go ahead and live that way if you want to. He said, but who, we know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not or refuses to settle. If you're really born again, something on the inside of you will rise up in there and go, you know what, I'm sick and tired of living like this. I'm sick and tired of getting beat down. I'm sick and tired of having my teeth kicked in and I refuse to settle any longer. You ever have that rise up on the inside of you where you're just, you've had it with all the garbage in life? If you're really born of God, that'll rise up on the inside of you where you've just had it. I refuse to settle any longer. He said, but he that is begotten of God keeps himself, and the wicked one touches him not. At the point you decide to refuse to settle any longer, you'll start keeping yourself, and then no more stealing, killing, and destroying. Taking care of that one. So now we've stopped the bleeding, right? So we've cut off all the, we're going downhill, and now we're at ground zero. Now we need to start checking life back up uphill. Start going up with God. But before you can start going up with God, right, before we can know God, we've got to find out why we need to go God and what are the things that are keeping us from knowing God and get rid of that baggage. And we know that the Son of God is come, and he has given us understanding. So He, how can we know God? He gave us understanding that we may know him that is true. That's part of your salvation package, part of getting born again. He gives you understanding that you could know him. And we are in... Him that is true, even in His Son, Jesus Christ, so that we may know Him that is true. And then He says, even His Son, Jesus Christ. So we must be talking about we know the Father God. This is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Amen. Here's an idol. Anything that will block you from knowing God. Anything that will keep you from knowing God better. In your life, he says, keep yourself from that. Right? We're just reading the Bible. He calls anything, because he said, what? He said, the he that is begotten of God keeps himself, and the wicked one touches him not. And then he said, keep yourself from idols. Keep yourself from anything that will keep you from knowing who he is. Turn to Deuteronomy 7. The first step in knowing God, is that we have to remove all the barriers in our life that keep us from knowing Him. Anything that's going to keep us from knowing God, we've got to dump. That sounds pretty drastic, but you know what? It's better on the other side, I guarantee it. And it's hard to make that decision. You all remember the prodigal son when he was living with the pigs? It says he came to himself. Nobody could tell him to remove the thing that was keeping him from going to see the Father. He had to come to himself. So there's nothing that I could do or anybody else could do to make you want to know God, to make you want to ditch everything that's keeping you from knowing God. It's got to come from the inside of you. Okay? So I'm just going to throw some red flags out here. Deuteronomy 7, verse 1. It says, When the Lord thy God shall bring thee into the land whither thou goest to possess it, and hath cast out the many nations before thee, the Hittites and the Girgashites and the Amorites and the Canaanites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, seven nations greater, greater and mightier than thou. What he's saying is, look, you guys are fixing to go into the promised land. You know their inheritance. He said, there's, a big, there's some big nations in there. Don't sweat it. You're going to possess the land. Don't sweat it. He says, when you get there, and when the Lord died, God, in verse 2, shall deliver them before thee. He said, I'll take care of them. He says, but smite them and utterly destroy them, and thou shalt make no covenant with them, nor show any mercy unto them. Now, we don't have any big nations like that keeping us from our inheritance. What's keeping us from our inheritance are these idols, anything that will keep us from knowing God. 
He says, so don't show any mercy on those things. Take them down, take them out at the knees, get rid of it. Don't make a covenant or get an agreement with anything or anybody that will keep you from knowing God better. He says, don't make any marriages with them. Your daughter shall not give unto his son, and his daughter shall take unto thy son, for they will turn away thy son from following me. He says, listen, any of this stuff that you don't knock down, it will turn you from me. And then when you don't know God, then we're back to what? Poor and foolish. Poor and foolish. He says, so then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you and destroy you suddenly. But thus shall you deal with them. You shall destroy their altars, break down their images, cut down their groves, and burn any graven images with fire. So get rid of anything in your life. That's the first step that we have into knowing God. Get rid of anything in your life that will keep you from knowing God better. Whatever it is. It could be even something good. If it's keeping you from knowing God. Because look, and I'll tell you what, this week, man, the devil's pulled out all the stops to try and keep people from knowing, get, hearing this. All kind of stuff. Just crazy. Because you know what? There's nothing more dangerous to hell. Because now, once you know God, hell can't steal from you. Hell can't kill you, and they can't destroy your life. You know, that freaks them out. Now they're losing all their power. And you know, that's messing with the status quo. Hell doesn't like that. It likes, having, it likes keeping you ineffective. He likes being able to, you know, show up and steal from you. Easy pickings. Christians are easy pickings for hell. When you start to know God, it's not so easy anymore. Verse 6. He says, For you are a holy people unto the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a special people unto himself, above all people that are upon the face of the earth. Now that ought to make your shoulders straighten up a little bit. God picked you over all the other people of the earth. He says he did not. Now if people go, yeah, that's the Old Testament. See, that's the Jews. That's right. And if you look over in Galatians, it says, if you be Abraham's, if you be Christ, you're Abraham's seed. So this is talking about you. Galatians 3 and like 26 and 27. You can look it up. It says, if you're, if you're Christ, then you're Abraham's seed. This belongs to you. The Lord did not set his love upon you nor choose you because you were more in number than any people, for you were the fewest people of all. But because the Lord loved you and because he would keep the oath which he swore to your fathers, the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand, redeemed you out of the house of the bondman, out of slavery, and from the hand of Pharaoh the king. Now, or no, I'm sorry, know therefore the Lord your God. Know the Lord your God. He is God, the faithful God, which keeps covenant and mercy with them that love him and keeps his commandments to a thousand generations. That's a lot. See where it says, it says, know this. Know that the Lord your God, he is God. Not only is he God supreme, he's almighty God. He said, but no, he's a faithful God. Now we're back to faithful. Remember when we talked about stand firm, be faithful? Do you all just kind of picture in your mind somebody and see if, you know, you'll, this, whoever this person is in your life, they'll just pop up. Somebody's there, they, they tell you, oh, I'm going to meet you for lunch. And then you get there and then you wait and then you wait and then you go, well... You know, it is so-and-so. You don't really know what so-and-so is going to do. Do you know somebody like that? They tell you they're going to do something, and then they don't, and you go, well, you know how they are. You don't really know if they're going to come or not. Everybody know somebody like that? Unfortunately, 95, I'll even say 98% of the body think God's like that. You just never know what God's going to do. You never know. You ever heard that? Have you ever caught yourself saying that? About your finances, about your healing, about relationships you're in? You just never know. I don't know. What God, you know what? It says God's faithful. That means he shows up on time every time. God's a faithful God. See, we don't even know that. We don't even know the simple basic thing that God shows up on time every time. 
He don't call in sick. He don't go on vacation and not take care of business. He's faithful. On time, every time, I do know what God's going to do. He's faithful. Not, oh, you just never know what God... Now, if, if somebody said that about me, oh, you never know what Andrew's going to... Would that be a compliment? So when we say it about God, do you think that's really, you know, giving praise or worship to God? No, what you're saying is, God, you're like a liar because I can't count on you. You're calling him a liar. He said, God's the faithful God which keeps covenant and mercy with them that love him. And see where it says, and keep his commandments? We saw that in uh, conscience. Because the only commandment that we have to keep now is to love one another as Jesus loved us, so you love one another. So that's one commandment. All these other commandments, you know what that is? That's the rhema word of God. When he speaks to your spirit, hear and do. Well, it goes all the way back to being strong. We hear God, whatever he tells us, and then we go do it. That's keeping his commandments. A thousand generations. I can't even figure out how much. I mean, that's a lot. That's a lot of great, 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 grandbabies and then so on. A thousand generations. Do you know it keeps starting over again? The clock, the ticker on the thousand generations starts over every time that you, someone else enters into covenant with God. When you entered into covenant, Earl, it started all over for you a thousand generations. When E.J. and Daniel entered into covenant, that's another thousand generations. It never runs out. It's perpetual, just like the Zoe life of God. A thousand generations. That goes a long time. And the clicker just keeps starting over again. When someone else enters in covenant, it's a thousand generations for you. That's a long time. That's how God's faithful. Not, oh, you just never know what God's going to do. I don't know. don't know about that guy. I don't know if he'll show up or not, you know. Turn to Jeremiah 24. Jeremiah 24 and verse 6. Just going to give you a sneak peek at what God, what God wants for you in his character. Kind of what's your appetite for next week. He says this, For I will set my eyes upon them for good. Now, we could just camp out on that phrase for about three weeks and just blow apart a lot of thinking. Because a lot of people think that God's doing something to teach them something. What's this say? He said, I set my eyes upon you for what? Good. We're back to the Martha Stewart test. I mean, it, my five-year-old knows the difference between what's good and what isn't good. He knows what he likes and what's good. He knows that chocolate's good. I didn't. I mean, Michaela knows chocolate's good. Every morning she wakes up, chocolate, daddy. She's two years old. I didn't have to teach her that was good. Right? He said, God says, my eyes are on you for good. And I will bring them again to this land, and I will build them up, build them up. I will build them up and not pull them down. This is just simple. Re- I mean, in the King James, we can see that, right? We don't need it. You know, this is even Old Testament King James. That's pretty plain. He wants to build you up and not tear you down. We don't know that. We don't really we say, oh, yeah, I know that. Really? Then how come when it hits the fan in your life, you say, well, I know that, but... Well, I know God wants me healed, but, well, I know all my bills are paid, but we got to be in reality. No, reality is he ain't there to pull you down. He's there to build you up, and he's looking to do you good. So we don't even know that. Now you're seeing why we can't do exploits? We don't even know the simple stuff. We don't really know it. We head know it, but we don't know it enough to believe it, because if we did, we'd be in rest, and we'd have excitement, right, and peace, and then we'd have confidence. 
If you don't have confidence, it's because you don't know God. Because remember when we talked about doing a tour de force and a heroic deed and a masterstroke, exploits? You don't do exploits unless you have confidence. You don't go out there unless you have confidence. I will plant them and not pluck them up. He said, and I will give them a heart to know me. Man, it's a free gift. He's even helping us out, giving us a heart to know him, that I am the Lord. And they shall be my people, and I'll be their God. For they shall return unto me with their whole heart. Ain't no half-stepping with God. If you know God, there's none of the members of Jesus said, I'd rather be cold or hot and lukewarm, I'm going to throw you up. Blech. If you know God, you ain't half-stepping. Don't be half-stepping. If you were half-stepping, you don't know God. You know what? You, it, all you have to do is just start to try and know God, and you won't be half-stepping. If you're just heading towards Him, you won't be half-stepping. Man, you'd be running. All right, turn to um, Isaiah 58. How? How do we know God? How do we get to know God, Andrew? How do we do it? Isaiah 58 and verse 2. It's God talking again. He says, Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways. As a nation that did righteousness and forsook not the ordinance of their God, they ask of me the ordinance of justice. They take delight in approaching to God. Seek me daily and they delight to know my ways. When I first met Kimmy, right, didn't, I mean, I wasn't seeking to get to know her. I wasn't seeking her daily. About three weeks later, I was. Then I started seeking her daily. Call her daily. I'd call up from Okinawa, right? She'd be in South Carolina. We'd sit on the phone, like two two fifty a minute. Hey, baby. Hey. Two fifty a minute, nothing going on. How you doing? Good. Be on the phone for two hours saying absolutely nothing. You know why? Because I'm seeking her daily and I delight to approach her. Man, my phone bill was huge. I didn't care. I couldn't care. Dial the phone again. Hey, baby. Hey. What'd you do today? Nothing. You? Nothing. What? Two or more hours. Chick, ching. Another paycheck going. That was just two days on the phone. Seriously. He said, that's how you get to know God. And you know what? At first, yeah, 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 I kind of like her. Yeah, it's nice to see you. Good to see you. But then started to be like, oh, you know, and then hang out a little more. And then daily. And that's how you are with God. He says, when you get to the point where you're daily seeking me and you delight to approach me, then you're going to start to get to know him. You'll start to get to know him. But you've got to daily do it. And you know what? You might not feel like it at first. Make yourself daily do it. Is it getting easier? It gets easier. You know what? Not only does it get easier, pretty soon, you know what? I'm like, I'll go around the horn. I'll be like, you know what? I've been, I've been a rough day. I'll get on TV and I'll go around the horn like three times. There's nothing on. I'll be like, you know what? I'm just going to get in the Word. I mean, you know, I'm just like, there's just nothing that even catches my interest. Let's go find out what's going on in the Word. Because, you know what? Because daily. And then I, then I delight to approach Him. And then as you get to know God, then you'll start to be strong in your own. You'll prove it to yourself that you're strong. Then you'll stand firm. You won't be moved by any ex- external pressures. And then next thing you know, you'll be doing exploits. Big stuff. 
But you know what? We're going to start. I don't know if we'll be on this series for two years, but we're going to start talking about. We're going to go. We're going to start at Genesis one one and start working our way through. You know what? Because Genesis one one is where God introduces Himself to us. By the time we got to Egypt and Moses, twenty five hundred years later, they started doing some exploits. Because there wasn't a whole lot of exploits really until we got to Moses. That's when we started seeing some exploits. Right? Oceans parting and all kind of crazy stuff. It starts out by seeking him daily and delighting to approach him. He's approachable. All right, Isaiah 55, we'll close out with this. Well, almost. (laughs) Verse 8, Isaiah 55, verse 8. Everybody could probably quote this. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. We all heard that, right? We think we know God. We don't know God. We don't know God. He's saying it. He said, my thoughts aren't your thoughts. You know, if you could think of it, if you thought of it, it ain't happening that way. Whatever your solution that you think of to your problem, it ain't happening that way. And you know what? And just to prove a point, God will make sure that he crossed it off his list. Even if he was thinking of it and you were sitting around dreaming it up, oh, worrying about how, oh, that's a good way, God. God would be like, all right, that one's off. Because he, he, man, he said this. He's got to keep himself to it now. If you thunk it up, forget it. Psh, off the list. So quit thinking about how God's going to show up and do it and just believe that he will. He says, for as the... Heavens are higher than the earth. How high is that? That's pretty high. Pluto's a long way off. So are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven and returns not thither, but waters the earth and makes it to bring forth bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void. Now this goes back to being a faithful God and keeping the covenant. He just said, if I said it, it's going to do whatever I said that it would do. So if you don't believe, if you're like, well, you never know what God's going to do. It's either two things. You don't know him or you don't even know what he said. Because he just said right now, if I said it, it's a done deal. He said, but it'll accomplish whatever I please it to do. And it'll prosper, be successful in the thing whereunto I sent it. For you shall go out with joy and be led forth with peace. Well, that joy and peace, those are those two things that we know we're believing. That's two parts of the two symptoms of believing. Joy and peace. He said, you'll go forth with joy, led forth with peace. The mountains and the hills will break forth unto you in singing. You'll be like in sound of music. Right? The hills are alive with the sound of music. Right? That's what your life is going to be like, like Julie Andrews running across the Alps. Having a picnic. He said, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Right? Wizard of Oz, instead of throwing apples at you, they'll all be applauding you. And then look, now here, here's how God is. Y'all want to know how God is? Here's how God is. This one, he said, instead of the thorn shall come up the fir tree, and instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle tree. Now, did you know thorns and briars were part of the curse of the fall? When Adam sinned, part of the curse that knocked the earth out of whack was weeds, thorns, and thistles, and briars. This is how God is. He said, I'm going to reverse the curse of the fall in your life. Not the curse of the law, but the curse of the fall. Instead of thorns and briars in your life, I'll make them trees. That's how God is. And it shall be to the Lord for a name, for an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. That's how God is. 
He ain't putting any weeds or thorns or briars in your life. He said, no, instead of that, I'll turn them into trees. All right, let's close that with Psalm 46. Psalm 46 and verse 10. How do we get to know God? Be still and know that I am God. Be still. Relax. <laughs> Just chill out and you'll get to know God instead of trying to muscle everything. Right? He said, be still. Just relax and know that I'm God. I'll show up and take care of it. Relax and know that I'm God. I'll be exalted among the heathen and I'll be exalted in the earth. And he says, the Lord of hosts is with us. Now, he ain't talking about all those people that get five bucks an hour down at on the border that seat you, the Lord of hosts or hostesses. No, the Lord of hosts, that word host means a well-trained army standing on the edge ready to join the battle. Lord of hosts. He's got an army, which we talked about that before, but they're all geared up. They're all ready to go, and he's with us. He's ready to send his boys into battle at a snap of a finger. He said, and the God of Jacob, he's our refuge. He's our defense, our inaccessible place. Isn't that cool? Inaccessible place. You know, it's like the CIA, the super secret vault in the basement. Nobody can get in there. He said, God will put you there and defend you. That's a God's character. Not, oh, you never know what God's going to do. And then the last thing in Psalms, it says this, Selah. That means pause and really think about that one for a minute. Really think about it. God's character is that He wants good for you. He's going to build you up. Weeds in your life, now He'll turn them into trees. And He's got, a, he's got an army standing by, ready to come in at an instant's notice to take care of you. That's our God. Now when we start to know Him, yeah, we'll do exploits, not a problem. Should we be confident? Absolutely. Because if we really believe this, that's how come I can say, say, say that we're going to go get a building and pay cash for it. That's nuts. But if we really believe this, then we better go do it. How many of you know Moses was nuts standing there holding a tree branch over the Red Sea trying to make a way out when the most heavily armed military force was breathing down his neck? That's nuts. But if we want to do exploits, we've got to get nutty. I mean, if we really believe it, we've got to get crazy. Get out there. That's where we're going. Stand to your feet with me. Heavenly Father, I just uh, ask you to seal this word in our hearts. Father, as we endeavor to get to know you better and really know you so that we would prove ourselves strong, that we would stand firm and do exploits. I can't wait, Father. I can't wait till people in this town are saying, oh yeah, that's the God of Covenant Life Outreach Church. Look what happened over there. They got a real God. I thank you for showing up, Father. I thank you in advance for all the exploits that we're going to do, and we're starting to do them right now. I thank you for it, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.